0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, April 29th, we're studying Romans chapter 4, verses 1-12. through 12. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And this is nothing new, St. Paul says. Even Abraham, the great forefather of Israel... Even he was justified by grace through faith, not by works. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Joel Heckman. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchie, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks for having me, Tim. It's good to be here.
0: As we get started this morning, Pastor Heckman, let's think a little bit about context. Paul has just recently made the turn from law to gospel, to put it in very basic, simple terms. What do, what do we see in Paul's argument previously that we need to bring into today's text to help us understand?
1: Sure. So as Paul, like you said, makes this turn as we start coming into chapter 4, um, it's, it's good to take a look at you know, we've been talking about the first three chapters, um, it really, you kind of see a section beginning in 1 verse 16, where he makes this mention of the righteousness of God being revealed, and so he takes God's righteousness and then begins to contrast that really heavily with man's unrighteousness. And um, he begins to kind of cover different ways that uh, we, you know, as he says, we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so he kind of lays it on heavily working up to this point that we're getting to today. Um, And you see it, you know, he's just basically contrasting God's righteousness with man's unrighteousness. Um, Circumcision does not make you right with God. Adhering to the law doesn't do it, uh, not even belonging, to, you know, to a nationality, you know, you know, being a descendant of someone can make you uh, righteous. Um, so he's kind of building up this case against, you know, if, if man is left on his own um, and he tries to say, I'm okay before God by following the law, uh, he says that's, that's not the case. Um, and then you, you really see the turn, you know, you were mentioning law and gospel. The gospel turn really comes when you get to chapter 3, verse 21. Um, There's that really, you can kind of see just a a complete shift in, in his focus, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So you've been seeing a lot of this universal language if you go to um, back to chapter 3 verses 11 through 18 he really hammers home no one is righteous before God no one understands all have turned aside and then he begins to take that terminology and use it uh, in more gospel terms where he says um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe in three verse 22 um, and, and a, a good point to make too, if you want to kind of let the preceding context help inform what's going on in chapter four, uh, I noticed, you know, kind of reading through chapter three, Um, and then the verses 1 through 12 in chapter 4, you'll notice a lot of the vocabulary and a lot of the assertions that Paul is making are mirrored in those two sections. Uh, Boasting is excluded in 327, and then he says Abraham has no right to boast in in verse uh, chapter 4, 1 through 2. Um, You know, he says you are justified by faith apart from works of the law in 327 through 28, and then he says that same thing in four verses three through eight, Abraham was justified by faith, not work. So you see a lot of these parallels um, in the preceding verses. And this is just great to remember that, um, you know, no verse in scripture is ever written in isolation. No chapter is ever written in isolation. Um, these are all kind of, you know, there's an interplay between them to help you understand what Paul is doing and really in short, just as you build up to it, um, you can just see um, Paul is making these bold statements in chapter three and everything leading up. And then he's using four chapter four to really ground those statements with this example of Abraham, um, showing that, you know, God is the God of both Jew and Gentile. He justifies, uh, by faith, not by anything else. Um, and, and then you look at the context afterward just a little bit on that, um, chapter four, verses 13 through 25. Uh, We only cover that first half, but he kind of keeps the conversation about Abraham going in verses 13 through 25. And this is just really continuing to reinforce uh, the argument about Abraham's source of righteousness, where he starts talking more about law and promise, and showing that God's grace, the promise that came to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations uh, was not based on anything he did. It was just a pure gift. So all this goes together to really – um help us understand what is the source of righteousness and Paul is going to really hammer that home in chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to go ahead and, and read the text and then I think the first thing we'll come back to is is this matter of Abraham because he he seems to be a key figure here for Paul in Romans chapter 4. But let's let's go ahead and, and hear the text and then we'll come back to to Abraham not only here in Romans 4 but but elsewhere in scripture that might shed some light on what Paul's doing here. So let's read in Romans chapter 4, beginning at, at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... Righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's the text, Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. So, Pastor Heckman, you laid out earlier that Paul's been using this language of all, all are unrighteous, and he carries that same all language into the matter of justification. All are justified on account of of Jesus Christ. So it's very universal in scope. Now he narrows it down to this one man, at least for a time. Why why the move to Abraham here? And and bring in whatever other scripture passages you need to do to to help us understand that.
1: Sure. So, yeah, Paul all of a sudden just introduces Abraham here. And and the reader might ask, um, why does Paul choose Abraham when he's, um, making this case for, for his hearers, his readers. And so you look at, you know, Abraham is obviously a, a huge figure in the old Testament, the father of many nations. Uh, God promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. um, and you look at how how would the um, people to whom paul was was making this case about righteousness by faith, how would, they have viewed Abraham and why would Paul have used this? Well, you kind of think about, um, how was Abraham viewed? Well, he was considered righteous, um, by many Jewish people, not because of his faith or because of a gift of God, uh, but rather due to his exemplary conduct, um, and his faithfulness to God. And if you look at, uh, some Jewish texts, especially one called Sirach, uh, there are different, um, different comments by uh people writing these texts that see you know for example abraham's faithfulness to god's order to sacrifice isaac they're saying that act on abraham's part was the source of righteousness before god so paul is taking this figure who is considered you know uh, the perfect example of works righteousness or righteousness apart from faith, and he's kind of flipping it on the uh, here saying, this guy is probably the best example of righteousness uh, apart from works or prior to anything that this person did. Um, and Paul couldn't think of a better example. You know, you, you kind of call it uh, an example par excellence, you know, the, the best possible case you can make to, to try and hammer your point home. You know, if you're trying to tell someone that uh you know steak is is the best possible food you can eat what are you going to do to make your case you're going to get the best cut of steak and you're gonna you know you're going to present it as as well as you can and you're going to say this is the best example i have to convince you well paul is taking abraham here uh not just because of how he was viewed um but because he, you know, he sees there is a righteousness there apart from anything Abraham did, uh, even though Abraham has uh, many, you know, famous deeds, we, Paul is saying that none of that matters. You know, the righteousness was there prior to the circumcision, uh, prior to anything he did. So you might think of it this way, you know, if not even Abraham, you know, who left um, his home in Haran without so much as questioning God, who was prepared to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on God's command. If not even he is righteous by means of his own works or faithfulness, neither is anyone else. Um, And even if you look at, yes, Abraham was faithful, he did many good things. We even credit that to God, because here's another place the context can help. Uh, Go back to chapter 3, verse 12, he says... Paul says, No one does good, not even one. And he's really saying, apart from the Lord who gives us the ability to do good works through his spirit, no one can even do good in the first place. So, not even Abraham's good works that you might think of can be credited to him, but to God. And and he's really probably, you know, uh, in the end, just kind of telling us we're on the same level as Abraham, we're sinners in needs of God's grace, and we're righteous through faith in Christ apart from anything we've done. Um, And even if you kind of look at the broader context of Scripture, Paul probably had this in mind. Um, Go back to the book of Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is talking um, to the Jewish people, and he says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So he's focusing on Abraham here in a way to reinforce what Jesus has already said. You know, God doesn't care to whom you're related. He could make rocks become (laughs) Abraham's relatives. Um, You know, being related to someone is not a ground for righteousness. And then if you go to John chapter 8, verse 33, uh, when Jesus is interacting with um, the people here, it says, They answered him, Jesus. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Uh, So the contention is simply being related to Abraham produced righteousness. And that mimics this this false and sinful hope that Paul is pushing against, uh, where the thought is, you know, if I'm circumcised just as Abraham was circumcised, I'm righteous just as he was. And he's saying... No, the foundation for righteousness is not. Relations. It's not uh, works. It's just Christ. And so uh, this would have really, really hit home for a lot of hearers who uh, had a misconception about what makes me right before God. Does it have anything to do with works or is it something else? And Paul is using this example to make it clear. If this guy wasn't righteous before works, neither are you. So I think that's really what he's doing by honing in on Abraham here, as opposed to any other biblical figure that we might see.
0: Abraham really is a, a great example here, and I appreciate the passages that you've brought out. That Matthew three passage, where where John's preaching and says God could raise up children from stones, it, it strikes me because Abraham himself is compared to a a rock in Isaiah chapter fifty one. the The prophet says, "Look to the rock from which you were hewn," and he, he brings up Abraham and Sarah precisely. And I think I think it's it seems what Paul is doing is he's he still wants his hearers, he wants us to have this connection to Abraham. But the connection to Abraham is not a matter of works, not that that outward sign, not circumcision, but it's the faith that Abraham had. And that's gonna be the real connection. And I mean to use Abraham as that example with the, the idea of the rock, well what was what was Abraham when God called him? He was as the writer to the Hebrews will say, he was as good as dead. He I mean he, he didn't didn't have you know, he didn't have kids. He had no chance of having kids. Mm-hmm. But but God called him because it was all God's work. And, and it was the righteousness bestowed upon God, or excuse me, bestowed upon Abraham by God that was given. So Abraham is, he's, he's the perfect, perfect figure to bring up here for, for a number of reasons. So, again, we're talking about justification, and, and Paul's going to make this case that Abraham is not justified by works, he was justified by his faith. Again, what is what is this matter of justification that's such an important thing for Paul?
1: Yeah, so yeah, that comes up in verse 2. Um, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So, yes, what does it mean to be, what is justification? This word comes up all all the time in Romans. Um, and really, you might say it means to be declared uh, to be right in God's sight, or um, as uh, I, I looked it up in, in a, a lexicon, it had kind of a helpful way to understand it, uh, to be justified means to be given a favorable verdict. So it means our standing before God is right, uh, it's good, um, and that justification comes through faith. So uh, people might recognize the phrase, um, stop trying to justify yourself, uh, and when, you know, what context is that usually spoken in? Well, typically it's if you've done something wrong and the wrongdoer is attempting to, um, kind of portray themselves in a good light, they'll try to justify their actions. We can we're pretty familiar with that concept. Um, or if you're kind of making a business pitch, you have to justify proposals with numbers and other data, things like that. Um, or you might think of, um, Someone has once described it as a just scale. You know, a just scale is a balanced one in a lot of people's minds. And how how does the scale become balanced when our sins are weighing down one side of the scale? Uh, the justification, the balance, doesn't come from anything we do. Um, all we can do is push that scale uh, down with our sin. God is the one who makes that right. So uh, He balances that with His righteousness. In fact, He, I mean. To take it further, he eliminates all of our sins and um, and and makes us right before him. Uh, so when Paul talks about justification um, in a theological context, it has a lot of the same meaning that we would probably normally understand in everyday life. Uh, to be justified means to have a defense for your right standing before God on behalf of Christ. Um, so if someone asks, you know, why why should you be declared right before God? you would have to give a defense of that. And if your defense is your works, as Paul is saying here, you're not justified because works can't take away your sins. They can't forgive you. Um, And especially you look at Paul's words about justification in chapter three, verse 24, um, we are justified by grace. Uh, Look at verse 26. He says, um, God is the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus, not man. And then he says, Three verses 28 through 29 we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law um and then he says god justifies both the circumcised and the uncircumcised by faith so so to really sum it up to, to be justified to be declared right before God uh, to say you have uh, your sin is not held against you um you are not condemned by that it's been washed away by by the blood of Christ uh, and that's a huge comfort uh, because you know the the understanding he's pushing against is where do I turn for justification that's not, Self-justification—it's uh, you might say—it's savior justification. It's Jesus uh, dying on the cross, shedding His blood for you, um, and by His work being credited to you by faith, you are justified before God. Um, so that—that's just a way to understand the justification theme that comes up uh, throughout this whole book that that Paul really hammers home. Um, and even if you look at you know the the word righteousness and justification um, comes up. The righteousness comes up quite often too. Uh, the The word in the Greek text is actually the same root, the same one for justification. So you might understand those two very similarly as just a right standing before God on account of what Jesus has done for you. Mm.
0: This right standing on account of what Jesus has done for you. Use that word account. You said earlier it's it's credited to us. This righteousness, this justification, is good good thing to know again as we go forward that those two words righteousness justification same same word in Greek, same root. But but you're using language like account, credited. Paul in the ESV it's translated it was counted. This righteousness is counted to him, or the faith is counted as righteousness. What's the what's the picture behind that word that Paul keeps using here?
1: Yeah, and, and the this verb appears, I think it's eleven times in Romans four, and that really this word to credit or to count towards um, is you might say it's the defining word of this whole chapter if you want one word to sum it up to credit and he's saying righteousness is credited to us just like it was abraham so this language comes up and and all of a sudden you, you can probably think of a ton of comparisons with the word credit or count toward Uh, you think about having, um, you know, a bank account. And uh, if you have any money in that bank account, it's credit toward you, you can use that for something. Uh, But if you don't, it's a terrible feeling, you know, if you have an empty bank account, and even being even worse than that, you might say is that, that feeling of being in debt, when you might, you know, you have a Bad credit score, and uh, you might be, uh, you know, have something like credit card debt or loan payments that you have to make, and that's difficult because not only you, maybe you don't have money or enough money, but you owe someone something, um, and and that's one of the ways that you can think about your, you know, ha- what are humans before God before. He graciously gives them righteousness or credits them with righteousness. You might think of it as kind of an empty bank account or an empty righteousness account. Um, As soon as we exist, we are in debt to the Lord. We owe perfect allegiance to him but are unable to give this. Uh, both by our sinful nature and the sins we commit both of those separate us from god and um, the price you might say is our lives the consequence for unrighteousness is uh, eternal condemnation so if we are you know if we are on our own you know that we we need someone to credit something to us as a gift uh, to get us out of that uh, out of that state and that's a great way that Paul helps us understand what does it mean that we have been given righteousness. It's it's something that's credited to us uh, on account of the righteousness of Jesus. Um, it, you could you could think about it like loan forgiveness. You know, imagine being in debt uh, millions or thousands or trillions of dollars. Uh, however much it might be, any amount of money that's an insurmountable total to pay off. And uh, without that payment, all kinds of bad things are going to happen. Uh, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, due to nothing you've done or earned, uh, this, you know, this loan provider decides, I'm going to forgive your loan. You're debt free. Everything's been fa- paid. I have credited everything necessary to pay off uh, this debt you owe uh, myself uh, because I love you. Uh, and that's really exactly what God did for Abraham and does for us, too. That's what Paul's trying to help us see here. Um, it is credited to him as righteousness, uh, that faith, uh, which is a gift of God, Um we are, even though we're bankrupt in righteousness in our own, God credits us the righteousness of Jesus to us in baptism. Uh, he saves us by grace, and you might say He credits us uh, with not with gold or silver, as Scripture says, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and to take it a little bit further, too, uh, you can think about almost like having a bank account that's continually replenished. Um, you never work for that righteousness. Uh, when um, it's demanded of you, uh, you know, when Satan accuses you and says, you know, what standing do you have before God? You say, I have the righteousness that's been credited to me. Uh, The funds are God's grace and the dispensary is God's church, where not only do we uh, receive baptism as a gift um, that creates that faith within us, uh, we also continually receive um, the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of faith as God's word is preached and taught uh faithfully when god gives us forgiveness in the lord's supper um that you know that that righteousness account by faith never hits zero you might say uh, and it's poured into us uh graciously by god we are the passive uh, receivers of that grace. And uh, I just really like the language here because, I, I mean, all this, all these images abound and, you know, maybe it's a difficult image if you, you know, do have financial problems, but maybe that heightens the comfort all the more where, uh, you know, whether you have debt or not in this life, you are not in debt to God that's been paid by Jesus. And, and what a comfort that uh, we have with that
0: this is an image that gets used elsewhere in Scripture. The, one of the places that comes to mind right away is Matthew chapter 18, At the end of that chapter, Jesus tells the parable. I think it's usually called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And, and that's that, in that parable, that's where he goes is the, the matter of the servant's unforgiveness. But what really stands out is the forgiveness of the master, this servant who's accrued just an unimaginable amount of debt. Here, the, the master forgives it. It's, it's gone. And, and that's, that's the same picture that you've been drawing for us here, that Paul's talking here with this word credit or count. Even in the, even in the Lord's Prayer, sometimes I think we forget this, that the uh, fifth petition, forgive us. We usually say forgive us our trespasses. In I believe it's in Matthew 6, it's, it's forgive us our debts as we mm-hmm. forgive the right and so so the idea of of sin as a debt that we owe is certainly one that's found throughout scripture and and to see then god credits us with the righteousness of christ the only thing we have to add to this bank account is our sin and and christ christ comes along and gives us his righteousness and and even more so than uh, loan loan forgiveness i think i think helps but it's it's even more than that because it's not like the balance goes from Negative to zero, and then we're left to, you know, do the positive part. That the bank account balance actually goes from negative all the way to positive. Not only does he remove our sins, but he credits Christ. So we go from from mm-hmm. poverty to riches all all at once. It's not just a taking away, but it's a, a giving here in this matter of justification. So it's a it's a really like, like you said, Pastor Hackman. It's it's a really wonderful image and, and a, a great way to 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 put some some bones on on this test sometimes with the epistles which are wonderful elements of of teaching sometimes it, it does help to have those pictures and i think you've, you've helped us see that very well we're, we're gonna have to take a break here this morning on sharper iron we're looking at the first part of romans chapter four with pastor joel heckman we're gonna take that short break but we will be right back please stick around Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations to learn how you can get involved. Call 800-843-8233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Wednesday, April 29th, we are looking at Romans chapter four, verses one through twelve with Pastor Joel Heckman of St. John's Lutheran Church in O'Carchie, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, prior to the break, we were talking about that image that Paul uses, this matter of being credited as righteousness. The faith is counted. It's it's a bank account of sorts, is the picture that we've got here. And and in verses four and five. It, Paul makes a, I mean, it's, it's a startling move all along that he's been talking about this matter of salvation by grace because he brings up the matter of work and that wages are not a gift. It's, it's something that you've earned, but that's not what we're talking about here. The counting, the crediting that's happening for Abraham and all who share Abraham's faith. This is not a matter of works, but it it's a complete gift, which just flies in the face of, of everything our, our sinful human minds think.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, the the stunning conclusion is we do nothing for this, uh, and that really um, it's baffling. It's both baffling and comforting yeah. to us, especially as we live uh, very busy, rushed, and and uh, lives yeah. that are full of full of trying to prove something with what we do. So um, I'm reading a book on the crucifixion that has this phrase I thought summed up really well. Uh, It talked about our restless need to prove our own righteousness. And if you think about that, um, sometimes people use the phrase enoughness, where... You have this, dr- this sinful drive, you might say, to prove that we are enough, that we are justified uh, by different things we do. Maybe it's your forty or sixty-hour work week, how many extracurriculars you're involved in, the grades you get, uh, the checklists you fill out, um, you know, the the health, how healthy you are. And just generally being busy. Um, and it's almost as though we think righteousness is our wage to be earned, where God credits us based on some obligation he has by what we've done. And that's where you come across this statement. And at first it comes across, it's really both law and gospel. You mentioned that. Um, we've been talking about that a little bit uh, in some other discussions on Romans. But um, you think about how this is law and gospel. Think about wages. Um, you know, we know that if if a person is hired and they have an agreement with their employer, you work so many hours, and you get paid so much money for it. Um, and uh, Paul just completely contrasts this. He says, "You know what this is like," and then he says, um, "It's not." Pay it as a wage, it's paid as a gift. So the law aspect would be a lot of us consider ourselves um, only as valu- valuable and righteous as the amount of work we're doing or the quality of the work we're doing or. Um, you know, what other people think of our work, perhaps, is another big one that we suffer from. Um, and so it comes, if you think this way, this comes to you as law because it's convicting you. Like, I look for righteousness and comfort in my own efforts. It's contingent on what I do. It's contingent on what other people think. And, um how often we look for confidence and comfort in what we're doing or how much we're doing. Um, and this is always, um, I'd say probably almost always at the expense of looking to God's work for our comfort or our righteousness. It's all, we, we make it kind of an either or is, and it almost always we go to um, our own works rather than God, where it isn't either or. It's either you, know, uh, you look to your own works for comfort or you look to God's and nearly always we look to our own. And that's really where the gospel starts to set into the other side of it. Um, we find rest and enoughness in the righteousness won by christ which is credited to us apart from our effort you know we do nothing for it we can't do anything um you know as as we wake up in the day and you know maybe you open your planner or you think of man all i have to accomplish today I wonder if I'll be able to get it done. I wonder if I'll be able to do it as well as I'm supposed to. Um, and you think about the righteousness you uh, have to have, um, you know, before other people. Uh, and you think, you know, what, what if I don't get all this done? What if what if those checklists aren't all filled out? What if I don't get all these tasks done? What if people don't think very well of what I do? Uh, that's not something that you... Uh, worry about with God. Um, When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night and everything in between, the righteousness of God uh, defines you. And um, even your quests for self-righteousness, those sinful attitudes that I have to prove myself to be worth it and to be righteous, even those are forgiven by God. Um, Now, you might add, this does not exclude works because certainly the scripture is full of uh, God's clear will that we are to follow Jesus, you know, take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow him. We, um, we are disciples of Jesus. We know his will. We are called to accomplish that will. Uh, and that has its place, but these things that we do are, are, you know, done through us by God. And these things are not our source of comfort. They're not where we look for confidence or righteousness. Uh, we have peace with God through Christ, um, who has declared us righteous, as we've been talking about a little bit, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I think this, hopefully, this speaks to a, a lot of us who are constantly um, tr- trying to prove something by how much we're doing, or we're constantly worried about it. You know, if I just take a break or if I maybe don't do everything I want to do or, or don't do it as well as I want to do. Um, I hope it speaks comfort to people like like this, um, that, you know, especially when you're overworked, overtired, if you define your life by how busy you are, this comforting truth comes through as, you know, the righteousness of God is, is not something that's paid based on what you do. It's, it's something that's credited to your account because of Jesus Christ. So uh, it certainly hit me with comfort. <laughs> I, I definitely fall into this attitude of, of trying to, you know, maybe inadvertently or subconsciously try to feel at peace or comfort with what I'm doing and that certainly doesn't mean just give up and quit. It, it just means hold everything in view of the cross, hold everything in light of that. Uh, whatever you do or don't do, that cross and that empty tomb are what define you at the beginning and end of the day. Nothing else. So that's really what comes through uh, in this image for me here, and I, I think it's a great source of both law and gospel for us to ponder.
0: This, this is—it's amazing when you start to recognize what an enemy self-justification is, and you you, you see it everywhere. And, and even in the busyness of our lives, you're exactly right. This does become a source of worth, identity for many of us, that as long as I'm busy enough, or at least people think I'm busy enough, then I, I feel right. And, and And like you said, Christians do good works, but we're not talking about that right here. We're talking about what gets credited as our righteousness before God. And and in that the, the works aren't counted as righteousness before God. It's the faith that receives the free gift, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and that is a great comfort in the midst of whatever it is that we're we're setting up as our source of righteousness, whatever work we might be trying to do to to prove our rightness before God, before each other, to, to be able to rest in the gift of the righteousness of Christ bestowed upon us not by anything we do at all but completely by his promise received in faith that that's a wonderful comfort a wonderful rest that's here and and it's the rest that that Abraham received and now Paul's going to bring in a, a second old testament figure a, a, an important one again he brings up David and he quotes from from David I believe it's from Psalm 32 what what's Paul doing here with this reference to David in Romans 4
1: Yeah so he's I think kind of clarifying a little bit more what exactly righteousness is um, by bringing in uh, the forgiveness of sins here with Psalm uh, 32 that David is um, is has written, uh, and he um, he he kind of says right righteousness isn't just a, a status. You might think of it as just a oh God you know is is it's just a status before God. It's it's also a saving act of God to make. Right, what is wrong through the forgiveness of sins and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, And that word blessed here, uh, when David brings that up, he uses it twice in these two verses. Um, Blessed, we have a lot of ideas about what it means to be blessed, but at heart to be blessed is um, not an abundance of, of, of possessions necessarily or money or anything like that. To be blessed is to have our sin not counted against us, um God declares sinners righteous, who would otherwise be considered unrighteous um, and note um if you look at Paul's use of the word ungodly in verse five, that kind of adds to understanding of this. if you were ungodly would have been kind of a derogatory term in in paul's day and and certainly it probably still has some of those connotations now, but if you are ungodly, you have no fear of God. You live recklessly and foolishly and selfishly, and you utterly reject God. And then he says, it's to these people, you and I, who were ungodly apart from God, it's these people to whom God credits righteousness purely by grace. And uh, that's where the, you know, thinking of Jesus as friend of sinners, one who eats with tax collectors and drunkards. uh, These are the people to whom God gives grace, the people who don't deserve it, the people who have rejected uh, him uh, on their own. This is the, these are the people to whom God gives grace. And I, I I wonder, it's not necessarily, um, you know, clear as to why um, Paul brings David and Abraham into this, but I, I wonder if he, he didn't bring these people up because not only are they so well known, uh, but they – you know, they didn't have spotless records, you know, they were sinners too. Uh, For all the things that were noteworthy that they did, you remember David was an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, Abraham, yes, he, uh, you know, he was given that promise that he would have a son, but at one point he uh, lost confidence that God could do that without his help. So he goes and sleeps with his servant girl, uh, thinking God needed human effort. Um, And both of these men uh, needed God to create and sustain righteousness in them through the forgiveness of their sins. Um, With all that they did, they were bankrupt before God until they were given that forgiveness. Um, And I love how um, we've been talking about Uh, The word to count um, or to credit, Um, and and it's kind of almost a play on words here you see with uh, verse eight, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins so righteousness is counted to us sin is not counted. Uh, and you think of the the verse, o oh lord, if you, if you kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Um, and so Paul brings that into this conversation, the forgiveness of sins. Righteousness is not simply, you know, a standing before God, it's something he has done by forgiving your sins. And that deepens the comfort and really expands your understanding of what does it mean to be righteous. It's because I've had my sins forgiven uh, by God, just as Abraham did, just as David did, just as Paul himself had had his sins forgiven. So I appreciate uh, Paul bringing that into the conversation here uh, with the Old Testament reference um, and, and bringing up David.
0: So Paul then moves from Abraham, David, both of whom were circumcised. And that's that's kind of in the background here all along, and, and Paul's going to bring it out again. So Abraham, David, well, they were both circumcised. They were forgiven. This was credited to them, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ. But the question still remains, it seems. Well, as Paul says in verse 9, is that blessing only for the circumcised. How do the uncircumcised fit into this picture? If so far the only two examples he's brought up are circumcised folks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he he really almost kind of brings us full circle with with the the teaching about faith. Um, and people probably have an idea of what it's like to be an outsider uh, in a in a particular group. Um, I know I was. Um, Always sad when I was kind of left out of some special get-together group. Um, you know, I when you're when you're not invited to a birthday party that your other f- friends have been invited to, something like that. Or I remember being homeschooled, I joined a a high school orchestra. um, And I often found myself on the outside looking in uh, as each of, you know, there were four Sioux Falls, South Dakota high schools that uh, joined for this orchestra. And, you know, understandably, when you're in high school, you kind of stick to the people you know, you go to the, talk to the people who go to your school. Uh, And I wasn't a part of any of those. So there were, We'd go out for break time, uh, and there would, you know, just be, you know, half dozen circles of, you know, friends who already knew each other, and I was kind of an outsider in that sense. And a lot of us know that feeling, you know, you move to a new town and it's tough when you're not from there. You don't have family from there originally, or you start a new job, or you go to a new school or a new church, and you don't know. The traditions and the rituals and the habits. There's this feeling of I'm I'm an outsider, and uh, that's probably at least to a certain extent how the the Gentile Christians felt uh, being a part of God's family. They they might have been made to think, you know, you don't you aren't related to Abraham by blood, you aren't circumcised, you're an outsider, you don't belong here. Um, but but going back to verse um, uh, verse thirty. Paul really hammers home, or excuse me, verse 29. He asks, "Is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Um, so so this is this is the gospel proclamation here, even though we deserve to be outsiders, We are insiders by faith, you might say. Uh, You don't have to be from somewhere. You don't have to be familiar with anything. You don't have to demonstrate some special family lineage to be brought into God's family. We are called by name into God's family by grace through faith in Christ, which is given us in baptism. Uh, A lot of churches will have that banner, uh, that baptismal banner, I have called you by name, you are mine. So it's really this comforting truth that Paul gives us, God doesn't leave us out of salvation, he brings us in by faith. So whether we're circumcised or not, whether we're related to Abraham or not, uh, by blood, we are in his family, all as people, um, united by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and even you, you look at it too. He says, um, he calls Abraham the father of those, um, who, uh, walk in his footsteps, Uh, So it's not just the people who are circumcised, but the people that share the same faith in which he walked. Um, So while salvation through Christ is exclusive, we'd say that uh, Christianity is not that special exclusive club that only people who are related to someone or have a particular ability enter into. It's a group marked by God's grace made up of forgiven sinners. Um, You are brought in by His love, and you are made a part of it completely by God's grace, and and what a beautiful teaching that comes through here uh, with the words of Paul and these latter verses of our section here.
0: Right to be a to be a child of Abraham, and Paul's going to expound upon this in in the next text as well. But to be a child of Abraham has nothing to do with bloodline, at least not the bloodline of of Abraham. It has nothing to do with the matter of circumcision, but has everything to do with faith because that connects you to the the blood of Jesus Christ. There's the as you said this is not a an exclusive thing for for a certain language or a certain nationality but it is for all people in this one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and that was the connection that Abraham had too. It wasn't a matter of his of his circumcision but it was the faith that he had. And Paul makes a very this is a very simple argument really. You know, Paul says, look, he believed the Lord's promise and was counted as righteous that's in Genesis 15. He wasn't circumcised until Genesis 17. He was saved through Faith. It was counted to him as righteousness, and circumcision came later as the the seal. Now, you you mentioned baptism, Pastor Heckman. What uh, very very briefly, because this text doesn't bring out baptism specifically, but there are other places where where there's a, a bit of compare and contrast between baptism, circumcision. How does how does baptism play into this for us as Christians?
1: Yeah, and I I don't. Let's see, I, I think Paul begins really to talk heavily about baptism in chapter 6 in Romans, so that'll be covered in, in the future, but we, we can make some some good comparisons and and maybe a key difference between the two. Um, first of all, baptism, similar to circumcision, is is really, you think about it as an outward physical sign assuring us of God's grace, where uh, when you say how— um, how do I know I am saved? How, where's that assurance of salvation? You don't turn outward to your works. You don't turn inward to your feelings. Rather, you turn to that outward sign that God has given to you in baptism. Uh, he washed you uh, with the waters of holy baptism. He gave you faith there. So that's where, you know, Luther, anytime he was terrified uh, by his sins and and he wondered, you know, am I saved? He would say, I'm baptized, I'm baptized, I'm baptized. That was his sure conviction. So that's a nice comparison you have there. Um, baptism also, like circumcision was for the Israelites, is an act through which God brings someone into his family. Um, and that's another good comparison. But uh, a key difference I think we might look at is, you um, Bapter, baptism is um, something which God promises creates faith. Baptism now saves you. Uh, baptism clothes you with Christ's righteousness. Um, it's this, as, as Paul kind of describes it, the seal of our faith, and it also creates faith. Uh, to think about it a couple different ways. Um, and this is this is a good comfort that we should can draw out. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, we if we are focused on our own works, it either leads to, we say, pride or despair, where if we think we're righteous by our own works, we're prideful, we don't think we need God, we can feel good about ourselves on our own, or it leads to despair when we realize um, the inadequacy of our works before the demands of the law, so where do you turn in that, you know, either that despair or that pride, we turn to God's promises and the external word in baptism, something outside of ourselves. Um, and that's that's really the the big comfort in baptism when you think about it, um, kind of in comparison to circumcision. It's that outward sign uh, that God does indeed love you, He has given you salvation. and and baptism, even in, you know, beyond what circumcision did, baptism again is that uh, means of grace that we talk about, uh, that way that God gives us faith, where He takes, uh, what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb, and and brings it all the way to us here, uh, even though we're removed from that by a, about a couple thousand years. That's that's the beauty of, uh, you know, even more than circumcision, baptism saves us and assures us of salvation in uh, such a comforting way for us.
0: Mm. Baptism brings us Jesus, and and Pastor Eric, we've got just about five minutes left here on the morning, and and it, as we've been reading this and and. I honestly didn't notice this until you pointed it out to me. It, it seems that Jesus is perhaps missing. I don't think we actually read the name Jesus in Romans 4, 1 through 12. Now, he, he does come up very specifically in the, the rest of the chapter, but, but I, I never noticed that until now. So it, it seems, well, I guess maybe I'll ask it this way and let you let you bring it home for us. Has Paul left Jesus behind in all of this?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think he does. And as I was reading, you know, obviously the name of Jesus never comes up. But look at verse five um, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. I think Paul is referencing Christ there. uh, Him who justifies the ungodly. Uh, You think about whose righteousness was given to Abraham. It's Christ's righteousness. Uh, to whom did Abraham look for deliverance from sin and death? Christ, because he had that promise given all the way back. You look at Genesis 3.15. We call that the first gospel when God promised Adam and Eve and, of course, everyone who followed uh, the offspring of evil, crushed the head of Satan. So who is the object of Abraham's faith? It was Jesus. You know, even though uh, Christ had not yet come along, Abraham and all the Old Testament people hoped in that Messiah. They were justified by faith in that promise that God would bring along a Messiah. And even though Abraham didn't see Jesus, even though he didn't know him by name, Abraham trusted in that promise uh, that God would Come in uh, in Christ to deliver the world from the powers of sin and death, and so uh, we see Jesus is all over this passage because it's what righteousness is. It it's the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, and we're you know in a way we're in the same boat as Abraham. Uh, we're on the other side of the resurrection, but. Uh, you know, Jesus, as Jesus tells Thomas, we heard this, I believe it was in the gospel reading from uh, this previous week, the second Sunday uh, in after Easter, or in Easter. Uh, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe in John 20, 29. So we too believe in Jesus, uh, whom we have not seen, and we do know him by name. Uh, but it's the same concept that faith in Jesus Christ, he is the one who justifies the ungodly as Paul Reminds us, and He is always the object of our faith. He is the one who justifies us with His precious blood, and He is the one through whom God declares us righteous, and He washes away our sins. And uh, you know, kind of, kind of a neat way to close. I, I think. That- Paul brings up Abraham and David here. Uh, We are going to see those same people at the resurrection of the dead. Uh, As we share their faith now, we share the object of their faith, Jesus Christ. Um, God is going to raise Abraham and David from the dead if we die before christ um, returns he will raise us from the dead along with the whole communion of saints the community of saints Uh, and then most importantly jesus is the one who we're going to see uh who the one who justifies the ungodly and um and that's a, a a great promise a great thing to remember even though his name doesn't come up in this whole passage he is the object of our faith. He is the one uh, whose righteousness uh, makes us whole. Uh, And that's a a great thing to remember as you read this passage.
0: Pastor Joel Heckman is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchie, Oklahoma, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Heckman, thanks for your time today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, Tim.
0: How was Abraham saved? Was he saved by his works, all of his wonderful works? Paul answers that question, no, no, he wasn't. He, too, was justified before God by faith. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham looking forward to what Christ would do. That that is how Abraham was counted righteous, and that is how you and I are counted as righteous as well. That same faith that Abraham had, That's the faith that we have with Christ as its object. Though the name Jesus doesn't appear in the text that we looked at today, Jesus stands behind it all. The one in whom our faith is found, and he counts it to us as righteousness. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.